Hello, and welcome to the Wesleyan GradCast. Today, we are joined by Dr. John Christopher, who serves as the director of our Master of Arts in Industrial Organizational Psychology. He is also the assistant professor of psychology here at Wesleyan College. Welcome, Dr. Christopher. We're glad you're here. It's great to be here. Thanks. Today, I'm so excited to learn more about this degree. There is a lot to cover, but let's start with the basics. So what is industrial organizational psychology? Uh, Industrial organizational psychology, which we abbreviate and just call IO psychology, is the study of uh, psychology or the application of anything from psychology to the workplace. So we typically break the field down into like six major areas. Three fall under industrial, and that's anything to do with uh, how you select employees for a job. So that would be job tests. It could be an application blank. could be a job interview. Anything like that, we consider a test. We use that to assess someone's knowledge, skills, and abilities to predict if they're going to be a good performer. So then the other topics within industrial psychology is just that, job performance. How do you measure it? Many people have had a performance appraisal, and that's, uh, that's, that's one of the central things we do is we design those and make sure that those are accurate. And also, it's all about training. Once you've got the employee in the workplace, you need to sometimes give them additional skills to perform their job, and that's what training's about. The other part of IO psychology is organizational psychology, and that covers what we typically call the soft skills, things like understanding you know, what motivates people at work, what is it that they find, you know, inherently enjoyable about their jobs, what do they think of the, you know, things that aren't part of the core work, things like pay, benefits, work schedule, that kind of stuff. And then it goes a little bit further where we focus on uh, leadership and teamwork in the workplace. So that's looking at how groups form and interact and how can you help them to perform at their best. And then the last thing we the last major topic is putting the whole thing together in terms of looking at the overall structure of the organization in terms of departments, uh, teams, larger divisions, and how are they structured and what sort of uh, staffing needs do they have so that the organization as a whole can perform its, at its best. I will say when I first heard about this degree, it was different. And I, I just wish I would have known earlier for me, because I surely would have been interested in getting a degree in it. It's marrying the work with the employee satisfaction and all of the things in between empowering the employees. And so I'm really glad that we are offering and that you're sharing more about it. And I've heard along the way somewhere that the military kind of started this. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily the military, but a military application of psychology. So basically, during the First World War, that was the first draft that the United States had ever conducted. So immediately, the U.S. military suddenly had about 14 million you know, people to assign to jobs. And that's exactly what the military says. Well, where, how are we going to know what these people will do the best? So they went to a psychologist, uh, and his name was uh, Munsterberger, and uh, he basically came up with the very first job test or the placement-type test to find out which people would be the best fit for which jobs that existed in the military. And that actually carries over because it's called the uh, 
ASVAB. I can't remember the acronym right now, but it's still out there. It's been modified a number of times, but that's the historical origins of the field is uh, the military went to a psychologist um, and they came up with a job test. And from that, that psychologist wrote a book called Industrial Psychology. It wasn't until the 40s and 50s that the organizational side was added. You know, we still actually have a connection, like there's an Army Research Center, there's training centers. So it's still going on. It's still going on very much. It definitely sounds like it's very useful for companies and for employees. It doesn't, I don't know that it's the most popular degree. So where did you hear about it? How did you become interested? Can you talk a little bit about your interests? Yeah, my, I was looking for a particular career and I took a psychology class. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't IO psychology. It was actually experimental psychology, but I got real excited by psychology in general. And then as I went through and began to go for an undergraduate degree, uh, a few people mentioned the field of industrial organizational psychology. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that it was really particularly good fit for me because I liked to focus on what I call everyday psychology. In other words, yes, there's the clinical counseling site that is dealing with the you know, more severe mental health issues. There's other specialties, developmental psych, focusing on children and those developmental issues. But I like the fact that IO psychology is what people do every day. You know, you go to work. How well do you feel about it? Are you performing your best? Is the situation that the workplace, the leaders and the employer you're working for, are they creating a good situation for you to perform at your best? And that was most intriguing to me. So I kind of thought about it from that perspective as it was focused on everyday psychology. And to be a little bit selfish about it, I knew it also paid pretty well. And I also knew I'd always have a job because, again, it's more IO psychologists go work in the field than go work in a research laboratory or a research job at a university. So the vast majority of IO psychologists are out working for large corporations. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with being selfish when it comes to doing something you love and making money while doing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And so in saying that, we've talked about the program a little bit. What are some of your personal research interests? I mean, where did you start? Are they evolving? How does yeah, that they fit are into what evolving. you uh, the, the start that I got was looking at the uh, testing the theory of organizational justice as it predicts uh, um organizational commitment, whether people have an intention to stay with the organization, their uh, satisfaction with their jobs, and their satisfaction with their pay and benefits. I particularly applied it to employee benefits. And justice as a theory is broken up over the series of years of research is developed into three different types. That's distributive justice. That's the way we use the word fairness to evaluate what we get from a job, like say your pay, your benefits of health care, or who knows, even as simple as your office assignment. Did you get that choice window office after working for 12 years or did it go to someone else? That kind of thing. That's distributive justice. What did I get out of this, this situation at work? The other, the other part of it is the process of making the decision. Did I get a chance to have a say in the decision as an employee? Uh, did I get, get a chance to have a choice and what came out? I might have 
for said, forget that window office if you'll let me lurk work four days in a week instead of five, and I get a three-day weekend, that's kind of a choice situation. The other part of organizational justice is called relational justice, and that's really about how the decision makers are treating the person that's being impacted by the, the decision. So are you being treated with respect and dignity? Is the information you're being given consistent and accurate? All those three things add up to what is called organizational justice as a theory. And it simply is a theory and nothing else, how people use the word fairness. So that's the start that I got in my research. Um, it's still been going on. I, I've conducted a number of other research types of research during my career based on whether I was working in the, in a corporation or other settings. Um, but the one I'm beginning to be more interested in these days is gig work. That's called the gig economy, which you may have heard about. And that's all this stuff where people are working short-term projects for maybe multiple companies at the same time. And so how are they pulling that out? And, and organizations are using these uh, work pools much, much more, and they're becoming much more prominent in the economy. And we all know we hear about them with Uber, Lyft, those are essentially the classic gig jobs. And since it's an emerging type of work, I'm particularly interested in that to see how can organizations help those employees to be to get more out of their experience. But then in turn, how can they work with those employees to be more successful? Because it's a totally unique and new model. And that's an emerging topic for the field. So I'm really excited about it. That sounds interesting, and you're right, gig work has been around, but now there's even like specific sites where you can bid on jobs and oh, yeah. short-term. That's cool how it's all related. Well, you mentioned justice in the beginning of that, and that's a great segue because I think Wesleyan College is now focusing on justice in its academics. Do you see the connection? Because it sounds like your program's already been doing that. Yeah, the the, the reality is Wesleyan College has been focused on justice in the broader sense. I talked about one specific theory that is built around the idea of justice, but Wesleyan College is focused on justice for a long time, meaning, you know, social justice, um, ethics, issues of inequity in our society, uh, addressing, you know, concerns of mistreatment and uh, underrepresentation of people just in society, not just in the workplace, but all across the board and doing it specifically to work with students who come from backgrounds that aren't so privileged. So that's a history of the legacy of Wesleyan overall. And we are, we as a program are, are certainly weaving in those components. So one way that the organizational justice that I talk, talked about, and one thing that IO psychology does that fits into the larger society is the idea that the whole field of IO psychology, when it comes to testing, uh, job testing, and then admission or, you know, making an offer of a job or a promotion, that fits uh, all those methods that we teach in this program fit with the Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which is one of the major social justice movements in the history of this country. And we, as far as it goes with uh, employment discrimination and helping organizations to not only avoid, but completely prevent 
employment discrimination. We are the ones that have the methodology that's been written into the Supreme Court rulings to say these are acceptable practices to show that you did not discriminate in your hiring practices and your promotion practices. So that's a way that the field is definitely connected to this idea of broader social justice and fits with what Wesleyan is doing. We do other things in the program to emphasize we have class on diversity, justice, and ethics. So that way we're teaching these concepts, but also connecting them to how is it that organizations can value diversity and not only give people certain opportunities, actually, you know, broad opportunities to grow and develop through their career, but then also take that and make it an advantage for the company where the company can be more successful as well. Then also looking at the idea of ethics and justice and those things are all interwoven. We try to fit these concepts into every single class because they do relate um, to many of the topics, but uh, those two components are the strongest for the way uh, justice is the th- one of the major themes for this program. Thank you for explaining that. It sounds like this is a great degree for a lot of the people getting into HR. When I speak to those that are interested in HR, they commonly refer to going into the field so that they can make a difference and create rules and have fairness in the workplace. And the typical HR job, I don't know that that's really what it does. From my understanding, HR is more to help keep the company safe, to make sure they're following the rules. But IO Psych, from what you're saying in this podcast, it sounds like that's exactly what it was meant to do is to make the workers happy, to keep the business happy, and to marry those concepts. Is that a fair assessment? Well, it's it's on track, and it's certainly very close. The It's really, I would just describe the difference in a slightly different way. The first thing is there is a tremendous amount of overlap between the two areas, but there is a strong focus which makes uh, HR Uh, and a degree in human resources from a business school different from an IO psych degree. The the main difference is the emphasis. From an HR perspective, you're looking at how do you set up administratively a human resources function within an organization. You're looking at budgeting, costing, projecting out in terms of getting workflow done, working with managers on work, getting process work processes set up, and also making sure you've got large pools of applicants ready to go when the organization needs them. Very much more of a process orientation and cost benefits analysis uh, type of orientation. IO psychology focuses on the same experience of the employee, but we're looking at more the people side of the equation in terms of how is it that you can make the job more attractive to get more applicants. What is it about the work experience with that company and in that specific job is most appealing to people so the organization can attract the most desirable employees? Then once the employees are on staff, how can you modify the practices and policies to create enough flexibility within the organization so that employees feel they are a little bit in charge of their own destiny, so to speak? That is to say, how what do they inherently get motivated about the work and how is it that they enjoy the work atmosphere, the, the coworkers, the culture of the organization, the climate of the teams, so that they come in 
feeling charged up and enthusiastic every day. That's the culture we want. We focus more on that as a core component of what we do and not so much on simply like costs of it. So like one thing an HR person may focus on strongly would be doing running a salary survey for 10 major metro areas, making sure they're hiring people at an acceptable rate so that their labor costs are staying within projected budget. We don't typically focus on those things. We're focused on, hey, these are the top talent, talented people. How can you get them into the organization? And then two, how can you create a work environment so that they get charged up about work and they can do their best and then the, basically the organization can kind of get out of the way and let them do a great job. That's the that's more the core focus for us. But there is a lot of overlap. I've always described this field as IO psychology as the science that underlies the HR department. The HR department is more about doing the practical business work of running a component of a, a function of a large organization in a cost-effective way. We're more the science about this is what you want out of your HR uh, function, and this is how it can help all the employees and the leaders to do all their work effectively and do it in a way that keeps everybody happy and enthusiastic about the experience. That makes a lot of sense. So what makes Wesleyan's degree different from other schools' IO psych degrees? Well, the, the major difference we have is that we are a small college. We're very much focused on working with the students that we have to help them get the most out of the experience. There are a lot of other programs out there. They're in bigger schools. A lot of state schools have these programs. But there you're kind of, uh, you know, you wouldn't go as far to say, you know, just a number, but you've definitely got to conform to that larger system and do whatever the experience is. And you may just get your exposure to faculty through classes and somewhat larger classes and not get a lot of individualized attention. We set up our program to basically focus on individual attention. We're, we're looking to get about eight to 12 students admitted every year. And that is actually fairly small. But then as we work through the classes, classes are only going to be in that range of where we got that many students. And yet we have five psychology faculty at this college that you can interact with. We even have an adjunct, Dr. Rowan, who uh, is actually a working consultant right now. So that's, again, another way that you can get individual experience. My background, and I lead the practicum with the applied internship slash practicum class where students are doing their overall capstone project and getting connected out there with the field and their first work or to if they're a working professional in an organization already to maximize that experience. And that takes a lot of individual attention where at other bigger schools, you're not going to get that kind of focus from the faculty that they, they'll be there if they can but largely you're going to kind of complete it on your own. But here we definitely want to, as faculty, we want to work with students through the program. Who would be a good candidate to come into our program? Well, um, we don't, we actually don't limit it to psychology, people with an undergraduate psychology degree. It can be any major. You do have to have at least one undergraduate psych 101 type class that gives you some of the basics and then a research methods and statistics class to be able to be admitted. But then after that, any kind of social science or even business 
degree is good. Um, and of course, if you have a psychology degree, that's even, you know, a little bit better because you have a little bit more exposure. But from within that, if just looking at the individual characteristics of students that are good, I think the one thing to note is you need to have a little bit um, of a sense of a calling towards trying to help people in the workplace, because that's always makes a big difference. And that's what a lot of HR is about. Um, and that can exist in a lot of different ways from just, you know, thinking of being someone who's running effective policies and procedures. So you're giving, you know, what's what employees need or working as a coach or just kind of a guide or as a sounding board for employees that are experiencing some conflict in the workplace to help them work through. You've got to kind of be focused on that component of working in the organization. The other thing I would say, which is unique to this field, and it may surprise some folks, is you definitely have to kind of have a little bit of an affinity or liking, might even go far as say just tolerance of math. <laughs> there is a lot of math into in the work we do because we typically do our work through research. And that's one thing that I think is probably the most surprising to many people who are in undergraduate psychology, that by the, they do take a research methods and stats course there, but it's one. Well, once you get into the field and you start seeing all the research and how we base most of the work we do on research, then you have to have an understanding of some of the statistics and the research methods. So I wouldn't go as far to say you have to like math or be good at it. You can have a career in this field without necessarily being focused on math. But to get through the program, we, one of the other emphasis, I wouldn't call it a whole theme, but is on analytics. Uh, and that's a new emerging area, data science analytics. And we cover that. We incorporate that. But it does mean that you have to get a little bit comfortable working with math and quantitative concepts in at least three courses. That's the first research methods and statistics course, then the uh, applied assessments and testing course, and then the course that I teach, which is people analytics. You have three of those, and it does require some math. If you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be your favorite topic, but it definitely has to be something you, you feel you can embrace and really work on to try to make sure that you get a good understanding of what it is. And if you want to have a career that's not focused on math, the good thing is you know how to use all the research you're seeing because you have a good understanding. Like I say, it's, I say to people, you're training to become a good consumer of research, not that you have to go do it. The field will set you up that if you want to be a researcher, you can do that. But if you don't like necessarily it's math is not your favorite thing, there is a career path without that, but you will definitely have a good understanding of what research is and how to use it. Well, now might be a good time to throw out maybe a couple of different career options or where this degree could lead you. Yeah, so um, there's three major tracks that IO Psychology has for people with a master's degree. That's working in what we call industry, which is what most people think of, just a large company, you know, like Home Depot, uh, Coca-Cola, uh, the those are two companies that are here in the you know Georgia region that hire a number of biopsychologists. So you work for them and you work as uh, working with managers in these large companies who are managing a team or a department or a division, a really large group of people. And you work with that manager to actually say, here are some employee issues you're having. Let's look at the past record of research and information 
or let's look at what programs and services you've offered to employees before and how can we improve or at least address this one problem. That's essentially what you're doing. You're almost like what's called an internal consultant. Uh, so that's one track is where you work in a large company. That's actually very common. The other major track that employees can, or people with a master's degree in iPsych can follow is in consulting. There can be some very large consulting firms like actually Gallup, which you hear about doing political polls. They're actually, their motto is 1% of their work is on political polling. 99% of their reputation is on political polling, but they do vast amount of consulting work for both consumers, but also a lot of employees. They have a 12 question employee satisfaction study that they've been using for nearly 40 or 50 years. So you can work for that kind of consulting firm and it's large. That's like a, that's like several thousand consultants working for one big organization, but more commonly you work for more of a midsize consulting firm, which might be a couple of hundred consultants or even of small boutique consulting firm with maybe three or four or five consultants. So that's your track. And then what you do is you get hired, your consult, that consulting firm gets hired to do a specific project or it might be a series of ongoing projects, but essentially you are providing IO psychology service services and all the topics that I described in a fashion of basically the organization like Coca-Cola is a client or a customer and the consulting firm is the business that's offering that service. And that's what it is. Those are the two major, most popular tracks for IO psychology. Another major one, which is not quite as popular, but it's out there, is going working for government organizations. So up in Washington, D.C., there's all sorts of jobs all over the place for IO psychologists. They are also spread out around the country a little bit more sporadically. An example here in Georgia is the Centers for Disease Control. We hear about that in the news all the time. In the last three to four years, they've built a team of IO psychologists there. I've seen the job postings come through. And you essentially do what you would do in a corporate world, in a corporate large company job working in industry, but instead you're doing it for government. So the workflow is a little bit different. The pace of work, there's a lot more paperwork and regulation and bureaucracy to go through. But essentially, the concept the, the, the concept is the same, um, and it's prominent. IO psychology is very prominent within the government because I know most of the Office of Personnel Management, which is the very top human resource office within the federal government, is staffed by IO psychologists, and that's a core thing. I use their example from their webpage of the things we teach because they provide pretty good details in my classes. So those are the three... Um, three areas that and main tracks that you can go in. And the great thing about it is I remember this is another reason you connect back to why I said I got in this field. When I was looking into it, I, the society for our field publishes employment statistics. And I've never seen, never once seen where employment is any less than 99.5% for IO psychologists. So you will never have a problem finding a job because you can do so many different things with this degree. I've heard of OPM and worked with OPM, but I had no idea that IO Psych was so embedded in their agency. That's really interesting. One of the things that I'd like to touch on now is that Wesleyan prides herself on hiring professors that have the academics as well as the work experience 
outside of academics. Can you talk about yourself a little bit, some of your interests, your previous work experiences? Yeah, um, uh, my I got started in kind of a unique track, uh, a, a type of work that I would call non-traditional IO psychology work. Um, and a lot of people in IO psychology to do this is I just had the chance to go work in a market research office doing customer surveys uh, rather than employee surveys. And it turned out the department I worked for, I knew someone who was come, had come from my own graduate program. So that's how I got in um, and got the connection. But they were also, because the HR department of this particular company, um, which is like a regional electricity company, they didn't have any HR researchers. So they would come to us on the marketing research team because we had the background and the skills and so I would do as much employee research at the time, and that's particularly what interested me in the job. But I got started doing customer loyalty tracking and customer satisfaction research. The methodology is the same, essentially, the, you know, working with a survey, writing a survey, gathering the data through a data collection process, doing the analysis. Uh, but I also got to learn uh, how to do focus groups, which is qualitative as well. So I worked with that and my job was to help the managers, the marketing managers, and then many other managers understand the data and the research to try to make decisions from it. So that was primarily my role was to work with managers who didn't necessarily have the research background, didn't necessarily have the background I have, but converted into business language so that they could make decisions from it. Um, and I like to call that process a data-driven decision-making that we want to encourage managers to make decisions based off data and track the effects of the decisions they make rather than the hunch, relying on hunches, trends, and then sometimes guesswork. But from there, then I went to uh, work for the telecom industry doing essentially the same thing. Um, and that's when I moved to the Georgia area. I worked for a place called, called Bell South, which is now just a part of AT&T. If you think of the phone service, that's essentially what we did. I worked in the small business sector. Then from there, I went and worked, uh, set myself as an independent consultant and did that for, for a number of years. Um, and I did the same kind of thing where I was working with, uh, some market research and some consumer satisfaction type research, but also trying to focus more and get more back to the employee research that I really liked and get closer to IO psychology. So I did some of that. And eventually I got approached by a local college um, to teach adjunct in their business school. And then eventually got a full-time job teaching in the psych department there, as well as the business school. And about two years ago is when I made the connection with Wesleyan as they were getting this program started. Well, great. Thanks for sharing all of this information. It's I feel like I have a very comprehensive picture of the degree, some of the information on you as a professor, your background, careers. And so next, I'd just like to tell everyone that right now our application is free. You can go to our website, apply for the IO Psych. We have also waived the GRE. So in place of that, you are able to submit a writing sample. And that writing sample needs to be either a professional writing sample or a previous paper that you submitted for a college class. Two letters of recommendation that we have streamlined the process and you're able to get those from the website as well. And a statement of purpose. 
And for the statement of purpose, this is the why you would like this degree, what you'd like to do with this degree, and the track that you're interested in going regarding coming to grad school and to this program. So in saying this, steps to the process, you as the professor review all of the documents once we send them over to you. What are you looking for in the statement of purpose and the writing sample? And what do you think is the most important part of the application? Um, it's a good question because the, the statement of purpose, that's just a name for a type of document that we, it's a name we use a lot here in academia. But the reality is, is if you think of it just simply as what are your, what are your goals you want to accomplish with the degree? Um, you, if you want to get a career start in a professional job that pays well and is rewarding, I mean, those are good goals. Then also, if you think about it in terms of why you think you'd like to work with employees as part of your career, I mean, what would you enjoy about it? Just think of from what you know about or heard, heard about in this podcast, what might you find interesting to do as a daily part of your work that impacts employees? You could describe that as a goal. Um, and then what do you think you might do in terms of, as you said, those kind of career tracks, which one might be most desirable to you? That's kind of what we're looking for. It's more of a, it's more of a thing to get to know you as, as opposed to any sort of evaluation. You must have something in there that we're looking for or else. It's not that at all. It's just a way to get to know you. I will say the other thing is to keep in mind about the application process is that, uh, the letters of recommendation and transcripts, you're relying on other people to get that information in. So you really got to think a little bit ahead and be a little bit working ahead on that issue to give those folks time to respond. And sometimes you need to actually follow up with them and check to make sure that things have gone through. Um, other than that, we are looking to, we, you know, consider applications at any point in time and that we have the January well, that's the second start. We have the traditional August start at the beginning of the fall term, and then we have a January start. And so as soon as you get your application in, we can review it and go over it, and you can be set up for a start here this fall or perhaps January if that's better for you, but we're willing to work with you. Well, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us, and we'll see you all next time on the Wesleyan Gradcast. Southern hospitality with a dose of reality.